The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. One of the applications we're making this week in our Justice Series, uh, there's a TBC family that was directly affected by the fires in California. It's where they're from. And uh, we located a church there, an evangelical free church that we can partner with. And uh, our desire is really to make Christ famous in that community. And so we're going to send any gifts we receive to a church there, and we're going to let them be the heroes of that community for the Savior. So if you'd like to give towards the need, over a thousand homes are burned, many people lost possessions. Uh, This church will be giving out uh, food, clothing, etc., to the folks affected by that gift cards. And so any money comes in here, we'll send directly to them. Check made out TBC memo fire, and we'll make sure they get it. So we're going to pray for them, and for the morning, Chase is our preacher today, so he's going to lead us in prayer. Let's bow together. Well, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your mercy and love and for the hope that we have because we are in Christ. And God, lots of pain going on in this world, and so we come to you and we cry out to you, God, for thousands impacted by these fires in California. And God, we pray that the church in California would shine bright the light of Jesus Christ as they seek to love people and share Christ there. God, for the hundreds of thousands displaced because of fighting in Syria by radical Muslims, we pray for your mercy over them and that they would have food and clothing and, Lord, really that the global church would rise up and love them well and share Christ with them well. And God, as we consider what it means today to do justice in our city, to be restorers of the streets, to be about the fast that you've chosen, God, I pray that you would give us hearts of compassion and love for those in Central Texas that are hurting, and that you would be glorified as justice rolls like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Like Gary said, my name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here at TBC. And in case you're new here today or in case you've just missed a couple of weeks, we're in week three of a four-week series called Justice for All. And we're looking at the biblical concept of justice. And so two weeks ago, Stuart Briscoe took us in Micah 6, 6 through 8, and we just talked about the root of justice in the Scripture. And then last week, Dave Tate, our high school pastor, one of the guys who teaches here, taught us about what it means to do justice inside the body, how to love one another well. This week, we'll look at doing justice in our city. But before we look at this week, we kind of want to recap the last couple of weeks so you hear what you hear today in context. And we've not only been doing sermons on this topic, we've been doing small group Bible studies on this topic. We'll be doing them this week and the next as well. And hope that you're part of a small group at TBC. That's really the lifeblood of what we do here. If you're not, get plugged in. You can get information right out in the back. Well, two weeks ago, Stuart Briscoe helped us to see and understand this idea. This idea that justice is a concept that is biblical through and through. And he taught us about the root of the word just, justice, right, righteousness that we see over and over in Scripture. And then if you're in this Bible study, you'd know we looked at the Scripture together to see this concept. And so we'll just review a few of the Scriptures you could look at to read about 
justice as it relates to the heart of God and the character of God, like Stuart talked about. First is this, Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you should not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Leave them for the poor and the sojourner. For I am the Lord your God. You do this because it relates to my character. And you might read that and think, well, I'm, a, I'm not a farmer, don't have any land, so that doesn't work for me. I'll tell you though, a family at TBC read that and they had just had a business interaction with a single mom. They had sold the car to a lady and they realized, here's a lady who's struggling to make it. And so they refunded her a good portion of that purchase price to say, we're not going to glean from the edges. We're going to love well. In Leviticus 19, a little bit further on, it says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. He ties it to his character. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Blessed is he who, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever and executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourner, upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he'll bring to ruin. Zechariah 7, 9 and 10, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner and the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. One day the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. As Briscoe taught us over and over, justice is a thoroughly biblical concept. Then last week, Dave Tate talked to us about justice inside the body and how we love one another, bear with one another, serve one another, care for one another, forgive one another. And then he gave us kind of this main point. Community isn't the mission, but we should be a community on mission. Community isn't the mission. That's not the end goal, just that we would get together, though that's a good thing, but that we would be a community on mission. So we're doing this together and loving others well. I'll tell you a way where we got to experience in my family community on mission and folks coming alongside us in the mission we believe we're called to. We got a phone call in May. I stood in front of you last November and did a very, very foolish thing. I said my family was done adopting. Like I could checkmate God on that. And in May, we got a, a phone call from our agency um, with a very gracious message from our son Max, birth mom, saying, you know, I'm pregnant again. I know the Bowers have four kids, so I can't really expect anything, but I can certainly just ask, would they be willing for me to place um, this child with them as well? And so um, August 5th, we got a phone call, and August 6th, we brought 
William Hudson Bowers into our family. I, I don't want to be one of those dads who just dotes over his kids, you know. Uh, but I mean, they're, they and all the others, they're really good looking kids, you know. But I got to tell you, we saw the community come alongside us in this mission through people's generosity. Somebody set up a, a thing for meals for our family, and we literally, within a day, had to say, hey, whatever's left, just take, take those dates down, because there were so, so many. You can tell I've eaten so, so many meals. And we were blessed with diapers and wipes and all these things, which is really, really helpful because when you got five kids, if you're not changing 10 diapers a day, and if you're not stepping on a baby, that's a good day. (laughs) But in all seriousness, this body came alongside us and said, hey, we're, we're a community on mission. You are not alone. We are with you. That's what it ought to look like. What a blessing to us. And so today... We come in this context to talk about what it means to do justice outside the body and what it means to declare and demonstrate that Jesus is king to the cities of Temple and Belton and Central Texas as a whole, ultimately to a world who really needs his rule and reign and righteousness in their lives. So we're there in Isaiah 58. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read the word of God together. See, it's the God who spoke to Isaiah in chapter 40 and said the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It's that same God that spoke what we'll read this morning. He says, cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not, they say? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowing of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself, to bow down like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then... Shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord your God will guide you continually. 
and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. And may the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You can be seated. So from Isaiah 58, we're going to talk about fasting as justice. And why in the world, when we talk about justice outside the body, do we talk about it in terms of a fast? And the answer is simply because the text does. We're a Bible church, so we look in the Bible. But if we're honest, we don't think all that often about fasting. When we do, we think about giving up food for religious activity. The people of Israel did this on occasion. Sometimes someone would even declare a fast, and they had some regular fasts that they did, but we don't do it that often. If I were to ask today, don't raise your hand, how many of you fast regularly? The answer is not many. We just don't take it up very much. And when we come to a passage like this as a Bible church, what we would be called to do is to really probably just read what the text says plainly. There's a couple metaphors in here, but by and large, it's just a straightforward reading. But we start reading about pouring ourselves out for the needy, and all of a sudden our interpretive skills come to life. And surely we go, God doesn't really mean this, does He? Whatever this is for you. It's almost like if Isaiah were here, we would look at him as a friend and go, Why, Ike, whatever do you mean when you say, Care for the poor. Pour yourself out for the hungry. So I want to answer a couple of questions. But before I do, I want to tell you a story. Because when we come to a text like this, it can be hard to read and embrace. About ten years ago, my 80-year-old grandmother at the time called me one day and said, Chase, there's something in the Bible I'm reading and... I don't believe it, and I don't really like it. And so my 80-year-old grandma is calling her little preacher grandson to ask about this. And this is the most gentle, sweet, kind lady, and I'm just beginning to argue with God, going, I'm not telling my grandma she's wrong, so you're going to have to if she's wrong. And so she just says, here's what it is. And I mean, it was just straight-laced, plain-as-day evangelical Christianity. Everybody in this room, minus maybe three or four crazies, would just embrace it. You know who you are, okay? So here's the thing. I, I said, what is it, T? And she tells me, and I said, oh, okay. And then she goes, but listen, it's not just there. It's here. And I read it over here, and she reads 10 or 15 verses. I said, yes, ma'am. And I said, what do you, what do you think about that, T? That's what we called her. And she goes, I don't think God's changing his mind anytime soon, so I guess I better change mine. I remember tears just rolling down my cheeks as I thought, man, if God gives me 80 years, I hope I'm as teachable as this woman. I hope I come to the Scripture with that sort of humility, ready to learn. That's what we've got to do as we look at fasting for justice. So we're going to answer two questions. Why the language of fasting? And the second is, what is the fast God chooses? I think the language of fasting in part is there are three things we know about fasting that we're going to talk about and see maybe why this is connected to us. And number one is this, it's not natural. It's not natural. We are a people who like to eat. In America, we really, really like to. 
But here's the reality. Hunger is one of the two strongest drives we have in our bodies. I can't remember what the second one is, but hunger's really, really strong. There are people I meet occasionally that say I never eat lunch, and I just think they're delusional. Something's wrong with them. Why would you not eat lunch? It's not natural to not do that. It requires a self-denial. It's not only not natural, it's not normal. It's not normal. It's one of the ways the people of God distinguish themselves as people of God. In every religion, there are fasts that people do to distinguish themselves as the people of their, quote, God, little g. And there are fasts that we do to distinguish ourselves as the people of God, big G. It's not natural. It's not normal. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. Have you ever gone up to someone and said, what are you doing this week? Well, I'm, I'm going to have a comfort fast. Anybody ever heard that? Have you ever thought about eating comfort food? Any, anybody? There's some people raising their hands. There's other people that are lying. We love comfort food. And when we think about comfort food, it's not about self-denial. What's your comfort food? Celery and carrots. No. Chicken and waffles. That sounds better to me. What are you eating where you're comfort fast? Oh, air. It's lovely. You just don't do that. See, fasting is self-denial, but it's not just self-denial. It's self-denial for a reason. It's specifically for us. It's that we long for the King. And we long for His kingdom to come. How do we know this? People ask Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? He's there with them. He said, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast in that day. And our fast says, as much as my stomach longs for food, I long for you this much. I long for your kingdom to come. So we fast for His glory and we do it for the good of others according to Isaiah 58. See, Israel's religious. They're going through the motions of repentance. They're doing all the right things, saying all the right words. And they just can't figure out why God won't bless them. So let's just go through these verses and talk about it. Isaiah 58, 2. Isaiah 58, 2. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their gods. They ask me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Now, when you read this in central Texas, as Americans, there's a dangerous off-ramp that could happen. You could read this and go, see, that's it. That's a nation. We're just not seeking God. And so it's America, and if America would see God, and here's the deal, when you do that, you're making a category mistake. Israel was God's chosen nation. So if you think what translated from Israel in the Old Testament to America and the New Testament now, we're His chosen nation, you're missing the mark. You know not the Scriptures and the power of God. That's a category mistake. Do we want God to bless our nation? Yes, but God's talking about His people. My people seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. So it's a nation of many nations now. God's people. And he's saying my people aren't seeking the judgment of God. 
My people are asking me for righteous judgments, and they delight to draw near to me. But it's not happening. Verse 3, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And he says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And you oppress all your workers. Why will God not answer them? And he says, your life is tied to your relationship with me. It's not that you're doing these things to be my people. It's that you're doing these things because you are my people. So we don't know what's going on or how they're seeking their own pleasure. Maybe they are refraining from food. We know they're spreading out sackcloth and ashes and doing these ceremonies. But they're not doing them with sacrificial hearts. And he says, you're coming in here and doing all this religious activity, but you're oppressing your workers. Maybe they're a little on the wealthy side, got some people working for them, and they are not treating them fairly or justly, and it's a problem. That says, you got a relationship with me, and you're in business relationship with the poor. You better treat them right. They were seeking their own pleasure, and it's a dangerous dangerous thing. In verse 4, he says, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. Listen, when God says to his people, I'm not going to listen to you. It's a bad day. It's a bad day. But they're just fighting, looking only to their own interests. In our Bible study, we heard Francis Chan ask this question, if the church isn't known for its love, then what in the world is it going to be known for? They weren't a loving people. And God says, a fast like this will not make your prayers heard on high. And they are confused because they think they are in the favor of God. And he says, this is not the fast that I choose. This is not the fast that I choose. Fasting such as this won't make their prayers heard by God. That's plainly what he's telling them. Verse 5, is this such a fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? He says, no, this is the fast that I choose. It's not the fast I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. What does it mean when God's people come together to loose the bonds of wickedness? What does that even mean? Three things we can think about the bonds of wickedness today. Number one, sometimes we bring the bonds of wickedness on ourselves. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no distinction, rich or poor, no distinction between race. We all sin. Sometimes we bring the bonds of wickedness on ourselves. And as God's people, when we see people who've brought the bonds of wickedness on themselves, we're to loose the bonds of wickedness. We go to be the light of Christ and the love of Christ. Sometimes we bring them on ourselves. Sometimes they're brought on us by others. I gathered with about 40 people from our body this week to see a little boy 
who was loosed from the bonds of wickedness that others had brought on him. And it's the most beautiful thing in the world. We had a celebration in the courthouse as we watched freedom come about. I met with a grandmother and two of her granddaughters Saturday who are bound up by the bonds of wickedness that others have brought on them and then sometimes just oppressive systems have brought things on them. And as God's people, we ought to be a people who seek to loose these bonds, to break the yokes of oppression. It's a beautiful thing when you watch it happen. It's to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. There was a guy named Mike O'Neill, an elder at our church, just moved up to New York City to minister alongside Stephen and Julia Chung. And Mike met a young man who was in a hard situation. He did not have a father in his life. And they began to meet when the guy was in sixth grade. Once a week, Mike signed up for this thing called Wildcat Mentors. Anybody in here, you could sign up for Wildcat Mentors and just love on kids in hard places. And they were to meet through junior high. But Mike just said, I'm going to continue this. Went all the way through high school loving on this guy. Another guy in our community is working with a young man who's here. And because he's in America, he wants to learn how to speak English, but he can't. So we've got a guy in our body teaching this young man how to speak English. Just laboring, working so he can know the language, sharing Christ with him as he does. Do those seem like good ideas to you? I mean, I, I think those are propositions that make us the light of the world. If it doesn't seem like a good idea to you, I just got to ask, is that river flowing or is the water dried up? Has it become stagnant, if you will? Or seven, is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Listen, this is hard, hard ministry. Gary met a homeless guy about three or four years ago and began to love on him, encourage him. Bev and Gary welcomed him into their home. They poured themselves out for him and it's hard ministry. And they'll tell you that in that sort of ministry... They didn't check the results. They left those up to God, but they served faithfully. They just served faithfully. To share your bread with the hungry. Listen, in Bell County, there are people who are desperately hungry. They're in poverty. The majority of them are women and children. Over 80% of the poor in Texas and in Bell County are citizens of the U.S., These children who are in poverty are much more likely to become adults in poverty if the cycle isn't broken. And really the best way to break it, the best chance they have is for the people of God to come into relationship with them and to love them and to help them and to meet their needs. C.S. Lewis talked about how do we give to the poor? What does that look like? Giving to the poor, he said, is an essential part of Christian morality. Well, how, how much do we give? He says, I do not believe one can settle on how much we ought to give. Whew, that's good news. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, and amusement is up to the standard common of those with the same income as our own, We are probably giving away too little. What is he saying there? However much I make, if I can live just like everybody else, 
makes what I make, I'm probably not giving enough. Thank you, C.S. Lewis, for making that easy. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things that we'd like to do but cannot because our charitable expenditures excludes them. Listen, if you read that and it makes you mad, I'm not talking to you, okay? I'm talking to people who are going to be impacted by that. Be shaped by that. But if you are mad, go, go be mad at a dead British man. I didn't say it. C.S. Lewis did, okay? But what he said is right in line with what we believe. One of our core values is sacrificial missional living. So sacrificial, by definition, means giving up something for the good of another. We find out how people are being afflicted. And we seek to work to meet their needs. What can I do? There are ways to be about this, but the hard and fast application of what we're asking you to do and what many of you are already doing, that's coming next week. But when you do it, your light breaks forth like the dawn and your, your healing springs up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. How many of you would say, I want some of that? Can I get an amen? Amen. Let me tell you what this might look like. This is my friend Neil. I just find myself ending up hanging out with ball guys a lot. Neil's a pastor in South Texas, and he and I used to do some speaking together. And Neil was in North Carolina at a restaurant called the Huddle House. That's off-brand Waffle House, in case you don't know. And Neil's eating there, and his waitress comes up to him, and he can see that she's in pain. And he says, ma'am, is something wrong? And she said, yeah, I have a, I got a couple of abscesses that I just can't get fixed, and my mouth hurts. And he goes, well, don't you have dental insurance? And she just looked at him and said, I work at the Huddle House. He said, I'm sorry, y'all. What I meant to say is I think God wants me to take care of your mouth. I'd like to pay for your dental expenses. And she said, excuse me? And Neil said, I'm the light of the world. And Jesus said, a city on a hill can't be hidden, so go get the phone book and find the dentist, and we'll get it set up, and I'll pay for your dental expenses. So two weeks later, he gets a phone call. He's back in his office in his house in Texas the phone rings, and it's so-and-so at this dental office in North Carolina. He said, this lady's here, and she says, you're going to pay for her dental work. He said, yeah, let me get my credit card. And they said, well, it's going to be expensive. He said, that's okay. I got rich friends. Not a problem. <laughs> and she said, so you're really going to pay for this? And he said, yeah. And she said, well, how do you know this lady? He said, oh, well, she was my waitress. I was up there. She was my waitress at the Huddle House. And she said, can I ask why you're doing this? And Neil said, I just pulled my phone back and said, I'm the light of the world. She said, what? He said, I'm the light of the world. And Jesus said, a city on a hill can't be hidden. And my king's going to come back today. But until he does, I'm going to demonstrate and declare that Jesus is king by loving people who need to be loved. I'm the light of the world. See, I tell you that story about Neil, but I could tell you ten more like it. Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer you. He will say, here I am. 
See, there's a fast he chooses and he'll hear your prayer. But he says, if you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. So what is the prophet talking about? I'll tell you present day what he's talking about is sometimes we see people in broken situations in poverty and they're hurting and we just kind of go look at it. They brought that in themselves and they're just working the system and they're doing this and this and this and this. And let me tell you the plain meaning of the text today. The prophet says, stop it. In case you couldn't hear it, I'll say it again in plain English. Stop. Don't do that. God will bring justice. If somebody's doing unrighteousness in the system, he can handle that. But he says to us, stop the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. Just stop it. Just stop it. I'm, I'm sure nobody in here has ever done that, but I'll, I'll tell you I have. And I... I repent. If you pour yourself out for the hungry... And you satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then your light shall rise in the darkness. And your gloom is the noonday. There's a lady named Mary Anderson. She sits right back in the back on my right, your left, on the 930 service. And Mary is just one of those ladies whose light rises in darkness. Her gloom's like the noonday. You meet her at midnight and you think it's noontime. I don't think Mary's ever had a bad day. And Mary spends a lot of her time in South Belton at one of our partner ministries called Helping Hands, volunteering, helping people who come in needing food, needing clothing, needing other things. And Mary is just overflowing with joy in Jesus. You get near Mary and that river of justice is flowing. You come within 10 feet. You're going to get some overspray on you. She lives in Morgan's Point. Rumor is her neighbors don't even have to water their yard. (laughs) See, her light rises in darkness. That's the sort of people we want to be. Anybody can curse the darkness, but it's hard to light a candle. You pour yourself out for the hungry. You care for the poor. That brings up the question, though, who is my neighbor? 2,000-year-old question we're still asking. How do I do this? How do I know who to help? I want to tell you a story that will hopefully help you know who your neighbor is. It's a fictional story. There was a guy in Temple. He was bald, had one eye, and he liked Papa Doves. Can't, can't remember his name. Fictional story. He's talking to Jesus one day. And he says, how can I really live a life that's pleasing you? I'm in Christ. I want to... I want to live in a way that pleases you. Can you tell me how? And Jesus said, well, love God and love your neighbor. And that kind of presented a problem. You see, his neighbor on the right side was an okay guy, but neighbor on the left side, he didn't really agree with a lot, and he didn't like how he did his yard, and the neighbor across the street, I mean, he didn't even speak English. So he said, well, I mean, Jesus, who is my neighbor? So Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story. There was a man who found himself beat up by life, and I don't remember if he had brought this on himself or if it had happened from others, but he was just beat up by life and he was under the bridge where Adams crosses over the loop. And he was hurting. 
And one day a missions pastor walked by. And he was a fine looking man. What are you laughing at? It's a parable, okay? He saw the guy hurting, but he was in a hurry. He was coming from church. He had been doing good work all day. Had a whole flock of kids at home, so had to get some milk. And then there was a football game. Surely somebody else would stop. Saturdays for football, Sundays for church. So he just walked on by. Then a little bit later, this old white-haired executive pastor walked by. He was a good-looking man, too. Not as good-looking as a missions pastor, but a good-looking man. was an attorney by trade. He went up to the guy and said, you okay? He said, yeah, does your neck hurt? No. Well, here's my card. You need some help, give me a call. He was in a hurry, had to get to a small group Bible study, and he walked on by. And then there was a guy that walked up, and he was kind of, you know, his pants were in, I mean, on his arms he had these, and his hair was in the ear, you know, and he just kind of, he looked like one of those people. He was a Christian, but he just looked like one of those people, you know, those people. But he saw this guy. And he remembered how he had been impacted by the love of God. He said, you know know what, why don't don't you come with me and let's go to churches touching lives for Christ. You look like you need some help in there. Maybe there's a clinic that could help you out. And you know what, I've got some friends that, um, well, they could use some work around their house. Or maybe I've got a friend that he could plug you in with a job where he works. And he just thought, you know, I know this is going to cost me and I don't have much, but what I have I can give and... Jesus looked at this bald guy, one eye, said, who was, who was a better neighbor? And he said, I, I, su- I suppose that would be, be the, the third guy was the better neighbor. And he said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And when you do, here's what the Scripture says, the Lord will guide you continually. And he will satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden and a spring of water whose waters do not fail. I just love this imagery of water that we keep reading. My wife and I went on our honeymoon to Alberta, Canada. And while we were there, we read about this place called Takakaw Falls. It was the second largest waterfall in North America. We wanted to go there and said it was 30 miles away but a two-hour drive and that didn't make any sense to this Texas boy because we drive on flat places. But we got there 25 miles in about 25 minutes and it's going to take an hour and a half to drive five miles and so we start going over these switchbacks back and forth and you can't see the waterfall and I'm thinking were these Canadians just playing a trick on us? Is it really here? As we're going around one curve there's a cliff and I rolled my window down to look over the edge and then I could hear in the distance this roaring. As we drove a little further, we couldn't see anything, but it got stronger, and then it got stronger, and then it got stronger, and we rounded a curve, and there's this beautiful, majestic waterfall. And listen, you park 300 yards away, and the overspray's coming. There's mist on your car. You get within 50 yards of this thing, and you need a raincoat or a new set of clothes. See, it's so powerful that everything around it is affected 
by it. I wonder if that's what the church might look like. What's flowing through you and pointing to those around you? Is it hatred for your enemies, fears of those you don't know? Has a water of mercy just dried up and become stagnant? Or is your life, are our lives together, I guess is a better question, rolling like a waterfall? Righteousness just flowing through us and is just as pouring out like an ever-flowing stream so that in Temple, Texas, if you just get near some of those people from TBC, you're going to get caught up in the overspray. Just can't not be affected by this justice that's rolling. What would that look like for our city? Can you imagine it? If we just begin to let justice roll through us. See, transformation in Christ continues in and through us when we love God and love our neighbors. So really the call of this series is to let justice roll through you in our church and in our city and in all the world. And next week, you're going to hear very practical ways how you can be involved in this justice that's going to roll. It's going to happen in temple. The kingdom is going to come. And you just got to decide, am I going to be part of it? Am I going to get on board with this? Do I want my righteousness to shine forth like the dawn? Do I want the glory of the Lord to be my rear guard? Next week, you're going to hear about how And the opportunities abound. I'm sure there's a place where you'll fit. Father, we pray that in fact we would be like well-watered gardens and streams whose waters never fail. That righteousness would roll like a river and justice like an ever-flowing stream and that your kingdom would come. That we would be people who are consistently, sacrificially pouring ourselves out, because this is the fast that you choose. We're pouring ourselves out in a way that in Christ we can't get empty because you just keep filling us up with this living water. So let the Spirit of God flow out of us in a way that blesses our city so that we might be called the restorers of the streets for your glory and the good of this place. In Jesus' name, Amen.